Welcome to Swift Unwrapped, a show about the Swift programming language and other open source Swift.org uh, projects. My name's JP Smart. And I'm Jesse Squires. And before we get started, we have a sponsor this episode. Uh, it's Buddy Build, which is a continuous integration and continuous deployment and user feedback platform built specifically for uh, mobile development teams. Gone are the days of retrofitting legacy web infrastructure and constantly maintaining build scripts to meet your mobile dev needs. Buddy Build takes just a few minutes to set up and can be easily customized to match your app's specific build requirements. You'll get back the time that you normally spent on creating and maintaining your development pipeline, you'll be freed up to focus on building apps that your users love. Thousands of companies use BuddyBuild with their mobile development because it's the fastest and most reliable way to build, test, and release their Swift apps. So join those thousands of developers uh, today. You can try it free at BuddyBuild.com. Hey, Jesse, how yeah. about that refactoring? <laughs> Do you love refactoring? Doesn't everyone love refactoring? Refactoring is one of my favorite things to do, actually. Right? Yeah. What's great is that as opposed to many other tasks in programming, you start off usually from a point that where things are semi-working. Yeah. Right? Things are compiling. The input state is things compile, and the output state is things compile. Yeah. So there's really not all that much to do. Yeah. So that's refactoring. All right, cool. We're done with this episode. <laughs> <laughs> if only, right? Yeah. Um, you can spend a lot of time refactoring, you know, just kind of shuffling things around. And it's it's almost like you're um, you're like remodeling a house or or just like re reorganizing the deck chairs quite literally. Right. And then you're like, well, what if things were kind of over here and over there? And then you take a step back and you're like, well, which one of these is actually better? And sometimes it's not obvious. Yeah. It, it's a fun exercise. Yeah. Have you read Fowler's uh, refactoring book? Martin Fowler. No, no, I have not. Yeah. Uh, it's a good read. I haven't read all of it, actually. Uh, only parts of it. But it's like uh, more of like a classic like CS textbook. All right. Um, but yeah, there's some super interesting stuff in there. There's a section on uh, refactoring tools, actually. Um, and what the um, uh, technical requirements and specifications of a refactoring tool are. Ooh. Yeah. Do you there's, recall any of those on the top of your head? <laughs> there's uh, there's actually some interesting, uh, I guess, like theory behind this, like trans, like you take this body of code and you transform it without changing behavior, right? So uh, that's like the primary thing that a refactoring tool needs to do is like not change behavior. Mm -hmm. Um so, which can be interesting in a lot of different ways, I think. Oh, yeah, because yeah. you slightly change uh, what the source code is. And if you're doing anything but you know, reorganizing the white space or comments, then... Or renaming a, something. Or renaming. Yeah. Well, even renaming. There's, there's a chance that, um, or often there are impacts on the produced binary. Uh, so... Really, what do you mean by you're not changing the observed behavior? So if you're doing things like dynamically 
finding the the selector name for something, well, then that's something that uh, that a renaming might break, right? Even though your code will still compile, or shifting some some code right. around might change the order of instructions uh, that uh, that the compiler produces, and then the user might not necessarily see a difference, but the computer is doing something else, right? So yeah, there's some interesting latitude there that you know should a refactoring tool be allowed. You know what kind of levels of freedom there? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's absolutely a fundamental part of writing code. Code is constantly changing. We have to move things around all the time. And for a long time, there were no refactoring tools for Swift, other than you know your cursor and uh, your keyboard, basically. So right. you can refactor all you want, but the the computer doesn't help you beyond you just um, shifting characters around. Right. Which actually made me uh, a little bit, uh, it made me long for Eclipse a little bit. And like, because Eclipse, if you're doing Java development, has like pretty awesome refactoring tools. Eclipse will basically write your entire program for you. Yeah, it's not every day in 2017 that you hear people uh, being nostalgic about Eclipse. (laughs) Uh, But uh, you look at Visual Studio and you look at Android Studio or all, all the JetBrain IDs and uh, their bread and butter is refactoring. Right. You know? It's uh, the fact that it compiles your code, code is almost secondary. The The point is that it lets you uh, massage your code more than just build it <laughs> once, right? <laughs> because right. the com- command line can do that take your, as well. Take your code to the spa. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't have brought up Eclipse. It probably shows how long it's been since I've written Java. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but I'll, every time I talk to to an Android developer, and usually you know, the discussion veers towards comparing Xcode with uh, whatever tool of choice they have, right? Whether it's right. Uh, Android Studio or um, the non-relabeled uh, JetBrains ID equivalent for it. Mm-hmm. Um and then there's so many others. Um, and so it's nice that finally we're taking some steps in the right direction here. And some massive steps were taken this year at WWDC with Xcode 9, where uh, we not only gained some a refactoring engine for Swift, but Xcode 9 included um, a refactoring engine that supported multiple languages, including uh C, C++, Objective-C, Objective-C++, Swift. And so there's a Clang component component to this for all the C languages uh, refactoring engine. And then there's a Swift component to this. So really exciting developments to see there. Yeah, and the uh, all of that, the the Clang refactoring tools, that's totally new for that community. They did not have uh, any of these tools, any similar tools before, as far as I understand. Uh, Nothing along these lines. There were uh, things like Clang Format, which um, definitely applied some some source transformation operations, Mm -hmm. uh, but nothing that was so user-driven uh, in that you could parameterize the transformation, such as renaming this token mm-hmm. to something else or this declaration to something else. Um, so really interesting to to see that it was a push, not just for Swift, but along all these languages that Apple supports. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, which is super nice to see, right? That it's not like Objective-C is going away anytime soon. Neither are uh, these much older languages. Mm -hmm. Um, Rather, Apple is trying to uh, align its efforts so that it can kind of do things on a common front and advance all all of their languages support. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know that not everyone who works on Swift daily uses Xcode for development, but I know uh, some people do. Last I heard, it's kind of like 50-50. Some people do, some people don't. So it's, uh, uh, yeah, probably a useful thing for those people writing C++ all day Absolutely. to have uh, legit refactoring tools now. Mm-hmm. So the, the Clang side of things and the Swift side of things, much of this has been open source in the uh, months following this announcement at WWC 2017. And um, there's a handful of things that haven't made it out completely uh, in the open. And one of those examples, well, first let's take a step back. Swift's refactoring engine uh, can be mostly separated into two separate refactoring types. Uh, The first is local refactoring, where uh, it's a transformation that occurs within a single Swift source file. And then there's global refactoring, which uh, requires a lot more knowledge about uh, the module and collection of files mm-hmm. um, that that comprise that module and usually requires the that module to be fully indexed as well, which at the moment uh, requires some special coordination by Xcode. And um, some of those tools that Xcode uses haven't been made open source yet. One of those is um, SourceKit Client, which drives a lot of the um, open source or or actions implemented in open source components, but haven't been necessarily scripted in any open way for for the time being. And and that SourceKit client component, as opposed to SourceKit and SourceKit D, the the SourceKit daemon, which are open source, the SourceKit client is is closed source. So some of these things, uh, like global refactorings, can't be done entirely by the community at the moment, just local stuff. Yeah, global refactorings could also reach across modules. So you have like your... Uh, refactoring within an entire module itself, or uh, let's say you have like a framework for your app and you refactor public APIs on that, then that's going to be like across those two modules. Yeah, and that's been that's instrumental. I've used yeah. uh, some of the Swift refactoring tools in the Xcode nine betas, and another common. Um, situation is when you have an app and tests for that app. Well, those are two separate modules. Yep. And so the fact that you're changing an API uh, using Xcode 9's refactoring tools means that the tests are also updated. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, the the way this is exposed means that if indexing is in progress, Xcode might think that you're refactoring everything uh, that affects, say you're renaming an API, that it'll rename all instances of that, but if it's not done indexing yet, it might think that's all there is, and um, and then you're stuck with the modules that you haven't indexed uh, not getting the update. Uh, hopefully, those are some issues that Xcode can can resolve uh, as the betas complete and and we get to GM soon. Yeah, refactoring while indexing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. First, we had indexing while building, and now we have refactoring while indexing. <laughs> Next, we'll have building while refactoring, and we'll yeah. come full circle. Right. 
<laughs> yeah. I don't know why why we don't just take a job on Apple's DevTools team. Like, this is obvious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So there was a blog post on the Swift.org blog uh, that was posted a few weeks ago about the Swift local refactorings uh, specifically. Uh, so not like the, the global refactorings we were discussing, uh, which those portions are not open source. And the blog post kind of lays out um, the the kinds of refactorings and how they're implemented. Um, and it's, it's actually more of like a a tutorial kind of uh, blog post about how to implement these uh, yourself um, and test them um, and like test them with Xcode with a custom tool chain and stuff. Um, it's pretty cool. I think this is actually like the first kind of like tutorial style blog post that they've had as far as I know. Right. And this article explains that there are two types of refactoring actions that are exposed at the moment for local refactorings. The first is cursor-based, so for a given location in a source file. And the second is range-based, which uh, takes a start and an end. So you can imagine a cursor-based refactoring um, action such as uh, prettifying a an integer literal might uh, be cursor-based because no matter where you are in that integer, in, in that number literal, the, the compiler knows where you are and you don't necessarily need a start and end because you're just in a single token. Whereas a range-based expression could be, uh, for example, you highlight several statements and uh, you extract those into a dedicated method or you extract a repeated expression and uh, you you also refactor that. So it's really these two options, right? Cursor-based with a single location, when that's sufficient, um, or range-based when you need to start and end. Um, and what's really sweet about how this has all been exposed, it really looks like uh, the the folks at Apple made a concerted effort to um, make the way this is exposed extremely user-friendly, where the the APIs that are exposed like are uh, entirely resolved, uh, and they even have that in in the name of these types where um, they seem to have introduced uh, some new some new types to do these manipulations like resolved cursor info and resolved range info, which can give you um, a bunch of relevant information regarding um, the the location and, and the keyword or the token that that you're currently analyzing. Uh, so for, for example, you can ask it, it you, you can ask it it's location in the file, or you can ask it its uh, its name, its um, declaration type, uh, the, the expressions that are trailing or leading it. So it seems to really be kind of a high-level API into some of the questions that you might want to ask yourself if, say, the refactoring should apply to this or not. Yeah, even things like if it's a keyword or not. Right, or if it's um, a variable, a constant, uh, if it's a reference to a function elsewhere, uh, things like that. So this is super useful if you want your refactoring action to be specific to a given type. And the example that they give in, in this blog post, the tutorial uh, of cursor-based refactoring is um, to take a string literal and to localize it. And really, all this refactoring action does is it appends and prepends 
more characters to the string literal Mm -hmm. uh, so that it calls out to... Uh, Probably NS localized string or something. Yeah, Yeah, probably something like... Yeah, NS localized string and then um, adds uh, a parameter field afterwards for a comment, right? So this is literally just inserting characters before and after the string literal. And so this refactoring action can ask this refactoring engine, well, is this token uh, a string literal? And if so, then display this refactoring action is available. Otherwise, well, dim it out. Yeah, and uh, it's a pretty straightforward API overall. It's you uh, essentially get this text, and then you can transform that text and return it, uh, basically. Uh, or um, I guess in some cases you're directly like modifying um, like what is highlighted or something in like a a range selection, but um, yeah, I think the I think C plus plus in general is a little bit difficult to read, or it could be a little bit um, intimidating. Well, it could be foreign to the sure. types of people who would want to uh, add refactoring actions to to, to Swift yeah. because. They're coming from a Swift background, Mm -hmm. most likely. But nonetheless, you shouldn't really be too taken aback or or scared, I guess, of diving into this because uh, there's a few examples that are in there already. So, for example, you have the ones that are implemented in in the open source. So the localized string example from the tutorial is actually a legitimate refactoring extension. Um, There's one that was added recently which uh, is the example that I gave earlier, which is to simplify a number literal by adding the underscores at every third digit, right? So if you don't know, Swift's number literals can be visually um, broken up into uh, digit clusters, I guess, much like you would use commas to delineate like thousands when you're writing out a number. Mm-hmm. You can do the same thing with with underscores. Or decimals, depending on where you live. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Periods or, or commas, um, and so there's there's a PR here um, on the main Swift repo one one seven one one in which the the author of the blog post actually adds uh, a refactoring action that's cursor based again, and it's actually not that daunting. The whole PR is 168 lines added, and honestly, about two thirds of that are things that you would probably just copy-paste if you're adding another refactoring action. Um, So only about a third of that, so about like 50 lines, I'd say, is really the meat of uh, the code that does the refactoring. The other things are like defining that this cursor refactoring is is available, right? So that's just a macro, and you just give it the name and description that you want. And then there's tests, obviously, but you can really follow the same type of format if you wanted to add one yourself, and I should also say that uh, a number of refactoring actions are being tracked as being proposed at bugs.swift.org, so uh, Swift's Jira tracker, using the refactoring label. So there's a bunch of ideas in there if you're looking forward, if you're looking for for some inspiration uh, to to what you could possibly build. Yeah, uh, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, there's some interesting ones here. It looks like a, a couple of Outside contributors are already interested in a few of these and have like started commenting and collaborating with some of the uh, Swift team members. Yeah, like there's one here: expand a ternary operator into 
an if statement and vice versa. So if you have a simple like if else and change that to a ternary. Lots of mostly small things like that. Um, change if let to guard let, which uh, that might be a, a simpler one uh, to get started with. Yeah. Well, these these tools could really be um, very small focus tools that let uh, maybe shave a few seconds off of small small tasks that you do at a time. But the more you add to your tool belt here, uh, the more those seconds really start to add up. Mm-hmm. So converting if let to guard let, you know, you can do that today using your cursor and keyboard. But uh, ultimately, if there was a keyboard shortcut where if it's already selected, um, it's already applied or it's applied instantly, uh, then that can save typos. It can save time. They can be pretty useful. You know, one of the things that I forgot to mention earlier when we were talking about uh, refactoring just more in the general sense is that uh, you know often we see other people's code uh, during code review or whatever um, after they've had time to refactor in many cases. And uh, I think it's easy to forget that lots of people start out just writing something that's ugly and awful. And once it works, then you refactor, then you clean it up, and then you submit a PR or do whatever and, you know, a lot of people don't get to see that whole process. They just see that end result. Yeah, well, this falls into why refactoring tools are important, right? It's part of the developer experience. Yeah. And much like we need to design uh, the the failure cases in our apps, um, tools need to handle failure cases gracefully as well. Yeah. Um, so hopefully... That means that when you try to apply a refactoring action to code that's in progress, well, it fails gracefully. Yeah. Uh, One thing that's unclear to me right now is uh, if you implement these different refactorings, um, when would they, let's say, either you do the things that are listed on the, the bug tracker and Jira, or maybe you have like some new idea and uh, the core team is on board with that and they merge it. Uh, when would this stuff show up in Xcode? In stable versions of Xcode? Yeah. Um, I'd imagine that it's like any other change to Swift, right? Mm-hmm. Where um, if, say, Swift 4.1 has already been branched off, yeah. Uh, well, then... PRs generally are made towards master mm-hmm. and 4.1 branch yeah. uh, if it's a candidate to be included in that release. Mm-hmm. But usually, um, and this is announced as part of uh, Swift Dev mailing list, um, usually someone like Ted Kremenek will will send out an email saying, well, now we're, this is the release schedule for Swift 4.1. Right. Um, these dates are... Is, is the branch off date. And as of this other date, um, we'll start being a lot more stringent as to what we actually accept in the branch. And they do that f- to really play it safe. Right. So it, it remains to be seen whether or not a refactoring action uh, would be considered you know, acceptable after the branch off date for Swift 4.1. Right. But otherwise, you know, say you, you got one in tomorrow, uh, and Swift 4.1 has been branched off yet. Well, odds are that it's going to be in Swift 4.1. Yeah, I guess the it's a little bit 
disappointing because then you have to wait for like these Xcode release cycles. Because if you implement, let's say you implement some useful refactoring action that you want to use today, right now, you can do that if you build a custom tool chain uh, with Swift, which is maybe it's not a super involved process, but you know, still like lots of extra steps. Um, and then you can't uh, obviously submit your apps to the app store with that tool chain. It has to be the official one, but you could use it while you're working, I guess. But yeah, so there could be significant delays from when you land refactoring actions to when they show up in a fi- an official stable release That's of true. Xcode. But I'm, I'm not sure how much... Um this would really hurt you in practice where to build a local refactoring action in the first place, you also need to be building all of Swift. Right. Right. Yeah. Because this refactoring stuff depends on the the whole Swift compiler having been built. Right. Sure. And um, to run tests on it, well, then you you really need to be building a full tool chain anyway. Mm -hmm. So at that point, um, say that you are building an app using Swift 4.0, using Xcode 9 GM you mm-hmm. know, or, or or the official release, uh, well, then you just really need to be maintaining that single tool chain mm-hmm. uh, built from source on your computer. Yeah. And whenever you want to, you know, you could do 99% of your development in the Swift version that you've developed, like built locally with the handful of refactoring extensions that you want on top of that, uh, and then only when you go to cut app store builds do you actually use the uh, the, the one that Xcode 9 chips with. Right. Yeah. You get a tool chain. You get a tool chain. <laughs> Look under your seats, listeners. You everybody, might have an X- yeah. <laughs> everybody gets a tool chain. Uh, but uh, honestly, building two ch- tool chains take a really long time, and that will probably be a deterrent to people uh, playing around with this. Yeah. It's been a deterrent for me, actually, in general, just doing work on Swift. How long does it has it taken you to build? So it's I I'm not sure if I've ever actually completed a build of a tool chain on a Mac. I've oh. completed lots of tool chains <laughs> on a Linux box. Okay. Where I can spin up like a digital ocean ocean instance with 32 cores and spend two dollars and have it all built in in seven minutes, you know? And then I do I do a bit of experimentation there, but then I can't copy that tool chain back to my Mac and try it out. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And on a MacBook, a MacBook Pro, it, it still it takes hours yeah. to build that. And I think I've I've always just given up. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, on Linux, it's so much faster because you have access to these super powerful machines um, that you you really just can't. You can't spin up a digital ocean ocean instance running Mac OS. Right. Right. Uh, or any other cloud for that matter. And mm-hmm. you certainly can't buy them. They don't exist. So it, it's it's a deterrent for sure. But that's where some alternatives to local refactoring actions could come into play, such as source editor extensions, mm-hmm. which expose kind of a similar model, but doesn't have the semantic uh, information that local refactoring tools provide. Yeah. Um, but at least you can write that in Swift and you don't need to build all of Swift from from source to mm-hmm. use it. Yeah, so this brings up a good point. Um, so now we're in this kind of weird state where we have 
these local refactorings part of the as part of the Swift compiler, you can write C++ to implement these for uh, you know, and and they're part of the open source project at that point. But then we also have the Xcode extension API for the source editor extensions. But at DubDub this year, there were no announcements for that. You know, the year before, they basically killed plugins and said, here's the new thing that we're going to move forward with, which is like, you know, these proper extensions. And... Yeah, there were no announcements there, um, no movement on that front. Right. So, well, what I'd like to see is the um, Swift syntax mm-hmm. library that uh, yeah. Harlan Haskins worked on while he was an intern at Apple mm-hmm. uh, over the last few months. Mm-hmm. That was recently added to the Swift experimental uh, directory. Yeah. Um, of of the Swift repo, uh, that exposes a Swift. API Swift module really that uh, you can import and uh, apply uh, source transformations. So mm-hmm. what I'd like to see is maybe um, uh, that exposed as part of the Swift local refactoring and global refactoring mm-hmm. uh, engine, so that people could write uh, their refactoring actions in Swift using that. Right. Um, but there's a bit of a mismatch there where the Swift syntax li- library just exposes uh, basically the parsed tree, not necessarily all the semantic information that the refactoring engine uh, that we're talking about here mm-hmm. exposes. But nonetheless, this um, this syntax tree that Swift syntax exposes is a lot more uh, information and, and a lot more useful Mm-hmm. than what the Xcode source editor extensions provide, which right. is really just a raw string. Right. So what I'd like to see is an Xcode 10 or maybe even uh, a 9.x release mm-hmm. is uh, source extensions have access to this module and then you can use that semantic info. Well, it's not semantic info, but it's uh, mm-hmm. parse syntax from your source uh, to to perform more uh, more useful transformations. Mm-hmm. That's That's the direction I'd like to see this go. Yeah, I haven't written any Xcode source editor extensions, but I imagine it's pretty difficult, actually. You probably have to do a lot of manual checking to kind of make sure you're... Because you lack all of that semantic information. So if you just have a raw string, it seems pretty difficult to do anything, like, useful. It depends what you're doing, right? You could use regular expressions to hopefully kind of catch what you're trying to to do. Mm -hmm. um, Or you can... Leverage tools like SourceKitten that uh, re-expose a way to parse a Swift file mm. and use the information out of that. I know some people have written some source editor extensions that that uh, pipe into SourceKitten or even SwiftLint to do some refactorings. I see. Uh, other times, like you can usually catch ninety percent of. Uh, of comments, like or, or rather comments 90% of the time using just a regular expression. It yeah. f- falls apart in some edge cases, but that might be good enough to do things like like a spell check for only comments, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, or autocorrect or something like that. But you're right that the use cases are really severely limited because you don't have access to the compiler's representation of the source. Right. Whereas with local refactoring, the refactoring engine, Swift syntax, those are all tools that give you a lot more information to make a much 
more educated guess as to how you should be transforming things. Yeah, maybe there was something uh, on the schedule for this that missed a deadline for Dub Dub, or maybe this stuff was is a precursor for a better uh, Xcode extension API. I think so, it certainly could be used as such. Yeah. Whether or not it'll happen uh, is entirely up to Apple. Yeah. Xcode X. <laughs> it's pronounced Xcode 10. <laughs> All right. So that's it for today's episode. We'd like to thank BuddyBuild once again for sponsoring this show. You can try it for free at BuddyBuild.com. You can find the show on Twitter at Swift underscore Unwrapped. You can find me on Twitter at Jesse underscore Squires. You can find me on Twitter at SimJP. And we'd like to encourage you to leave a review on iTunes and to join our chat at spectrum.chat slash specfm slash swift dash unwrapped. Thanks for listening. So... Uh, there's pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, people think that we're drunk or stoned for this episode. Uh, yeah. <sighs> no, no, it'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> All right.